You're tuning in to the Bookmatic's Best Book Podcast, where you will discover author secrets from books that'll make you feel, grow, and learn. These authors are from all over the world, all different backgrounds, and you are sure to learn a whole lot from their personal experiences. So please enjoy, subscribe, and let's get into it. Hey, Bookmatic Lifelong Learners. We have an awesome guest here today, Alan Gannett, the author of The Creative Curve, uh, which actually came out a couple years ago. It's one of my favorite books that I read last year uh, for a very good reason. Uh, I mean, Alan, I, I'm so happy that you came on the show today. So thank you so much. Thanks and, for having uh, me, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, your, your book was very impactful for me because, well, it's about creativity, right? Uh, and you know, we, we all have our own creativity in some certain way and we can use it. In your book, you explain the science behind that. And I, I got so excited about that. I mean, uh, about purposeful practice, about uh, the myth behind the 10,000 hour rule, which I love the fact My that you brought that yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Um, and also like you break it down into the... Uh, the four laws, what is it? The four, yeah, the four laws of creativity or, yeah. Uh, so maybe you can explain a little bit about your book and maybe a little bit about what you do. Yeah, sure. So the book came out of this urge um, of sort of feeling frustrated. I was running a marketing company and I was interacting with a lot of really talented marketers, but I was hearing things like, well, I'm not that creative. Like that's not me. And I had always viewed creativity as something that was learnable, that was nurturable. And so this sort of seemed odd to me. And I realized that it wasn't just marketers. I would interact with people who were creatives, who were artists. And even then they would say things like, well, I'm worried I wasn't, you know, I'm not talented enough. I wasn't born with those skills. And so I realized in my opinion that creativity is something you can get better at is actually a minority opinion. You know, 90 plus percent of people don't think that. And so I sort of wanted to put together a coherent, clear argument as to why creativity is something you can learn. And more importantly, how do you do that? And so the book came out of this sort of urge to sort of unlock this sort of human potential problem. Um, and basically what I did is it's split into two halves. So the first half is looking at the myths around creativity. So um, why do we think creativity is this sort of, you know, semi-divine act uh, and not a rational thing, which it is. And what is the truth behind it? And so I explained the science of how creativity works, some of the history about our thoughts of creativity from the time of the Greeks, the medieval ages to today. And then the second half of the book is I actually interviewed 25 living creative greats. These are Oscar winners, Tony Award winners, uh, Michelin star chefs, billionaire startup moguls, like a pretty eclectic set of people. And I wanted to find what were the things they did to actually enhance their creativity. And I found that there's these four patterns that all of them did, so there's 100% compliance. And I explained those four patterns and the science of why they work. And those are the four laws of the creative curve. And so those were ultimately um, the sort of actual part of the book. And yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the book is, uh, you know, you would think creativity is not a very, like, teachable thing, but I, I felt like I personally a lot, learned a whole lot, especially the way that you broke up the, the four laws. And I don't know, the, the book is so powerful because it gives you the idea that you can be creative. I love that. I mean, I love how you put it together. Uh, that's why it's on my favorite list of books that I recommend to everyone. So uh, maybe maybe you can uh, go into a little bit more detail of like, who is your book for? Yeah. Um, so the book is really for either sort of practicing creatives or aspiring creatives. So, um, you know, if someone, for example, wants to break into a creative field, whether that's music, art, marketing, whatever it is, I think it can provide a really good roadmap for how to get started. If someone's already in a creative field and particularly experience, I think it can help you understand more about your process and where to double down and apply more effort. One of the things I've been really sort of, um, I don't know, warm by, I don't know what the exact word is, but like, is that the people who the book seems to like resonate the most with from an authenticity perspective are very talented, very successful creatives who tend to go, yeah, this is right. And I, I like that because I think a lot of times the people who are like, oh, okay, well, okay, I get it, but can I really do it? Are the people who haven't yet done it. And so the fact that, you know, the more successful someone's been creatively, what I find is the more they're like, yeah, yeah, that is true. That has been a very sort of affirming thing to hear um, because I think for a lot of people, we're so programmed to believe that creativity is fixed, that creativity is not something we get better at, that it can be hard to hear the message because what I'm not arguing in the book is that creativity is easy. Like that's actually not. I'm just arguing there is a way to do it. And I think that nuance is important because I think when people hear it, they're like, they can be like, oh, well, if you're saying creativity is easy. That just seems, you know, silly. But I'm not arguing. I'm simply arguing that there is a path forward and it is a path that takes a lot, a lot of work. Yeah, very true. I love the example that you used about the, uh, the artist who started out just making um, some sketches and just putting them online, I think it was, right? And yeah. uh, over how long was the period that he made the progress uh, to where he's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, the, the progress is amazing, right? Yeah, so Jonathan Hardesty, um, who's now a pretty successful, like sort of painting instructor and teacher, he was in his uh, like early 20s, and, you know, never been an artist, never painted and had this like realization that he wanted a job that he could do from home. And he was like, well, painting is a job you do from home. And so he decided he wanted to become a great painter. And luckily enough, what he did was there was a forum that he posted sort of to try and get a forum of like accountability buddies. Um, it was like, this is the first you know, painting I've ever done. It was terrible. I have a picture of it in the book. And I'm going to do uh, painting every single day until I'm great. And he posted on the forum every single day for 10 years. And so the result is you see his progression. And it's wild because in year one, he was atrocious. Year two, he was atrocious. Year three, he's pretty bad. Year four, he's pretty bad. And then all of a sudden, he sort of hits his stride. And now he's like incredibly ta talented. He's practiced. And that distinction is really important. Now, we can talk more about this. But one of the things I think when people hear that is they think, well, you know, it's a 10,000 hour rule, right? If you, if you do something for 10,000 hours, you'll become world-class at it. And I, I spent a bunch of time in the book talking about that because that's a fallacy because 
it's not just about doing something. It's about doing something with a form of purposeful practice, which is a term from pedagogy, which is basically this idea of breaking down a macro skill into smaller micro skills so that you can constantly keep them conscious and tune and get better. Because if you just practice, like if you just started uh, painting, for example, and just painted the same thing over and over again, you wouldn't actually get better at it. You would get more automatic. You'd become more subconscious. And so this is why you think about pro athletes, they do like very specific types of drills. When they are trying to like become a better basketball player, they're not just playing games of basketball. Instead, they're like, okay, we're going to do left-handed mid-court dribbling. And in doing that, that's what allows them to keep the sort of skill top of mind. So you can keep getting better at it, thinking about what's working and what's not working. So that's what Jonathan was able to do with his craft by continually trying to practice small elements of the skill of painting. And over time, that sort of levels up into becoming a very masterful painter. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the funny thing when I look at people who think, okay, this 10,000 hour rule, uh, okay, I'm gonna turn on my, my clock and you know, record <laughs> how many hours I've done this uh, without actually doing purposeful practice. So that, I think if that's the, the one thing that people take away from the book, I think that would be um, probably the main thing. What, I mean, you're the author, so what do you think? What would be the one thing that people should take away from this book? And by the way, one thing to add to that is like, I think about like, I, you know, big part of my career is doing public speaking, which obviously during COVID is doing on pause. Um, but, you know, with public speaking is I've given the same speech, which is sort of my, my talk based on this book about 125 times. And that speech I can literally do now in my sleep. Like I could get up on this, like, on this like on this table and I could like give that speech and I could like nail all the points, but I'm not getting better at it. If I want to get better at it, I have to engage in purposeful practice, which I do, right? So I'll like have friends come and give me feedback. I like practice specific opening lines. I'll like work on hand gestures, but you actually have to stop it from becoming automatic if you want to become better at it. So um, to answer your question in terms of what is the thing to the biggest thing, I think that, um, you know, personal practice is obviously important, but the thing that I, I, I try and really help people understand is that creativity is a social phenomenon. And this is really important because if you were to create a novel, for example, so if you were to write a book and no one was to ever see it, you objectively cannot assess whether or not it's creative. And that I think is a hard concept for people to wrap their heads around because the issue is that creativity is a social thing. So for something to be creative, everyone has to agree that it's creative. There's no objective North Star or label of this is creative or this is not. It's a social dynamic. And so as a result, so much of what we call creativity is really in the sort of interrelationship between the creator, the art, and other people. And that interrelationship is where so much of going from sort of good to great in your creative career can go. Once you learn how to, for example, get collaborators, how to get promoters, how to get teachers, how to do these things and get other people involved in your work, that's when creativity really becomes something that you can go from good to great to world-class at. Yeah, yeah. And I think you were mentioning something about gatekeepers in your book as well, which probably has something to do with that, right? 
maybe explain mm -hmm. a little bit about, for, uh, so, about that for our listeners? So, um, you know, my book is sort of in the genre of like pop psychology and um, one of the sort of academic, academic lenses that I sort of try and make more accessible is what's called the systems theory of creativity. And it's sort of spearheaded by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who's a very famous now um, older professor who wrote the book Flow and has always been sort of one of the academic minds of creativity. And he developed the systems model of creativity, which basically says there's sort of three key components of creativity and one is sort of which is basically like in any creative field there's there's sort of key skills key examples of that creative work so if you think about in jazz for example there's certain jazz standards that are sort of considered part of the the standard there is um there is you know key songs there's key sort of methods act whatever um and then one of the things that's interesting is there's the individual, but then he also talked about how there is what he calls, um, what I call the gatekeepers, which are basically that the people who decide what goes into the standards, what is considered part of the domain, what is considered the sort of the key elements of whatever that creative craft is, because really your job as a creative ultimately is to actually be put into those standards. And so historically, these gatekeepers have been pretty... Mm, what's the word? Maybe like mm, on a podium. I don't know. But basically, the idea is like historically, these gatekeepers have been people like a record label executive or an AR scout. But it's changing and shifting, and they're not getting rid of them. But the internet, for example, has shifted who the gatekeepers are. So now you're seeing, for example, in music, the gatekeepers are the people who curate the Spotify playlists or the people who run really popular music blogs. And so gatekeepers aren't going away, they're just changing and shifting. This also speaks to the social dynamic, which is that you could write an amazing song, but if no one ever hears it, if no music bloggers cover it, if no Spotify playlist creator actually leans into it, you're not going to be recognized as creative. And so you have to understand these concepts. And I think more importantly, one of the things that I think in our sort of digital world and our sort of COVID world is that we sometimes feel like this can all be done over the internet. But in a time when there's not like a global mass pandemic, like the thing is that what you find is that shift interactions because it's so human. And since humans are social creatures, like if you want for gatekeepers to recognize your work, like you probably have to be friends with them. You probably have to know them. You probably have to have some social bonds between you. And really the only way to truly do that is in person. Yeah, I love your points there for sure. I, these are very valuable lessons for people like myself, create, uh, creators online. Uh, and yeah, we need to get out there. We need to build our network. And um, yeah, I mean, such great advice, such great content for the people watching. Uh, and I know a lot of people watching and listening right now are probably aspiring business owners or people that want to advance in their careers. So I'm curious, what advice would you give to them to be uh, to become more creative and to have the like the biggest impact? Uh, like, how should they go about doing that? If that makes sense. So I think if you're applying your creativity very commercially, pardon? Can you hear me? 
Yeah, sorry, there was a delay. I'll cut that out. But yeah, um, oh. I said if that makes sense. Continue, yeah? Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think if you're trying to apply your creativity commercially, you know, which all creativity really has been specific, like entrepreneurship is very commercial. Um, you know, I think the thing to look at is ultimately what is your being, what is your sort of uh, self-awareness? And ultimately, there's sort of one sort of personality trait or one character trait that I think is most tied to successful creativity, it's self-awareness. Because self-awareness allows you to actually look and say, okay, what are the things I'm weak at? Where do I need support? Where do I need other people involved? Um, where am I in the creative process? How do I you know, take feedback? Am I able to get better at these things? And so ultimately, I think that self-awareness is the thing that you want to nurture and develop. And nurturing self-awareness something that I think sounds sort of scary and impossible and all these things. But I think what it really means is if you want to become self-aware, you have to surround yourself with people who are knowledgeable at the things you want to become self-aware about. And you want to listen and you want to listen for their texture and what they say and how they say it. And like, think about, okay, when they talk about how specific skills are important, do I have those skills and asking them and getting, getting comfortable with that notion. But um, I think becoming self-aware is essential to creativity. I also think it's something that you can actually nurture and get better at. It's not something that you're either born with or you're not. True, true. There's this whole, um, uh, this whole idea about mindfulness and self-awareness that's I think really big right now. And especially with like all the self-development books and stuff like that, uh, people have easy access to information about it. So yeah, that's probably one of the very first steps. So yeah. Thank you very much for that totally. awesome advice. Definitely. Um, so another question for you is, it's been a couple of years since this book has come out. So is there anything that you would change about it now? Or is there anything else that you might add to it in hindsight of writing the book? Yeah, I think I would spend more energy on... Um on sort of people's sort of, you know, confidence and insecurity when it comes to creativity. I think a lot of, there's a whole sort of social dynamic. I talked briefly about this in the book when it comes to like self-talk, but like, I think for a lot of people, one of the biggest creativity obstacles is their sort of perception of themselves and how they view themselves. And like that to me is sort of worrisome in that, you know, people spend a lot of energy doubting themselves. And I think for a lot of people, like, the reason why they're successful creatively is either they started whatever their creative craft is before they were even sort of conscious of self-doubt really, or they had someone like a parent pushing them early on that got them through that initial self-doubting state. Because like everyone when they start something has self-doubt, right? When you like try and become a DJ, you never DJ before, or like you're going to be terrible the first you know first year or two right and so i think a concept yeah sorry delay there in the audio yeah good so uh yeah i mean it's, it's so true when we're first beginning something uh, anything in our life so that's that's a nice aspect uh that could be very helpful for people um so yeah alan do you have any plans for another book in the future, uh, maybe about the same topic or a different topic? <laughs> uh, I'm working on an idea for a new book. Um, 
and it's on a different topic. Um, same again, sort of in this intersection of like human uh, um, potential and like how do we tap into various potentials. So sort of in that sort of broad conceptual sort of similar idea. Um, but I'd say like I would I would guess it's going to come out in like mid twenty twenty two. So like we got a while. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want you to give any secrets out or anything like that, but that's really cool to hear that you have another book coming out. I'm really excited about it. Uh, can't wait for when you do release it, because I will definitely share it with the Bookmatic audience. Uh, your work awesome. had a really Thanks, man. I impact it. on me, so, uh, and I'm sure it had a big impact on many other people. So is there anything else that you would like to add to this? Anything that maybe we missed during the previous questions? No, I mean, I think that, you know, for anyone listening, you know, if you're, you're exploring, uh, I think this is a time when a lot of people are thinking about their careers. You know, one thing I'd sort of say, or I throw out is, um, you know, I, I always think about thinking about a mortality, I think makes a lot of things come come into more crisp definition. And I think, you know, creativity is one of those things that there's a lot of research showing that um, pursuing it and developing it is like one that can make you like deeply satisfied and fulfilled. Uh, and we literally only live once, right? So like, I think it's a really good thing to pursue. And I think if it's something you've been on the fence about, um, you know, during times of like significant change and disruption can actually be some of the most amazing times to become more creative. And so I would definitely encourage people to think about that um, and to try and maybe run to something scary instead of run from something scary. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've been following each other on social media for quite some time. As you know, my audience is all about lifelong learning. And uh, so your advice about just getting out there and not being fearful of it is really good advice. Uh, we've got a whole lifetime to live, but we can only live it once. So, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt to get out there and try something new. And like that artist that you were talking about earlier, just take it day by day and experiment and explore and do purposeful practice. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of skills that, you know, even if you try and pursue some creative skills that you ultimately don't become professional at or don't become world-class at, I think what you'd find is that you learn other skills along the way that are deeply helpful for any other thing you're doing. And so I think there's very low down. Yeah, there's, there's a very good example of that. Steve Jobs and his uh, callig calligraphy class that he took, right? He learned that skill. Oh, I, I haven't heard that story. That's oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He learned that skill of calligraphy and then uh, I think it was calligraphy and then applied it to uh, designing the the iPhone and the Apple products. So I know that's really cool. Never know. That's a great example. Sort of skills you are going to be able to <laughs> apply in your life. So get out there, experiment. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, so where can people find you uh, if they want to search for you? Yeah. Where can they find yeah, you? Yeah. So um, alan.xyz. L-L-E-N dot X-Y-Z that has links to my book, social media, newsletters, all that good stuff. That's a great place to start and end. 
Cool, cool. And I know your Instagram is just Alan. That's a really cool profile name. Just your first name. Alan, <laughs> for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I hope the listeners were able to learn a whole lot from you. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Have a great day.